0: All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Cart Overflow. I am Gen Kao. And today we have a special guest, Susan Bradley, who is the founder of Social S- Social Sales Girls and Sock Doggo. Susan, how are you doing today?
1: I'm good. That's a lot of S's.
0: That is. That is. The <laughs> alliterations get confusing. hard for me. But thanks thanks so much for joining. I would love to, to hear a little bit about your background. I've dived in um, to how you arrived where you're at, but from your perspective, would love to hear it.
1: So how did I get here? I guess yeah. uh, what you asked me, so really interesting. So my background uh, is in retail. And for many years, like 20 years, I had a small chain of uh, bricks and mortar stores. And I, I sold those uh, in 2010 and purchased a little company called we Squeak a few years later. And it was a uh, manufacturing business. We imported shoes from China. And it, it was at a crossroads for sure. It had had some pretty quick growth. And then as you know, as everyone in our business knows, things got a lot more difficult for brick and mortar retailers over the years. And so I, I think in 2013 uh, was the first year that our sales were down since the, the business had been founded. And it became pretty clear to me that I had to make a shift if I was going to, if the business was actually going to survive, it was like that. I always tell this story of being this e-commerce merchant, but I also had a big, big part of the business was wholesale. There wasn't, it was more wholesale than e-commerce and my mom coming into my house that year at Christmas and she was in probably her late seventies. And she said, well, I've got all my Christmas shopping done. And, I said you do and and she said yeah I I bought everything online and I, I, all I can remember thinking is well if you can figure it out I have a real problem mm-hmm. <laughs> cuz I didn't know you could do stuff like that and so that's when I really started uh, transitioning to e-commerce and so the next year we dropped all our wholesale accounts it was over a million dollars Worth the wow. business that we dropped and I just set out to learn how to find my audience, get them to come to my website and buy our shoes. And and as I was doing that, I decided that it was a pretty lonely adventure. And I decided that I would share what I was doing. Uh, actually in a Facebook group that I started. And so so I did that as and as we figured it out, the mistakes I made, the things I did. The uh, things I was trying, and uh, it was a great little community uh, to to really meet up with people who were working on the same things, and and then over time I just decided to put together what I had learned into some training, and so the Social Sales Girls was born, and and so I teach people how to find their audience get those people to come to their website and learn how to purchase their products. And we do that in our inner circle. Now, we still have the free community in on in that little group in Facebook. It's called the Roadmap to 50K now. And we still I still try and share what I know because I feel like you can find a lot of high level strategies on on the Internet, on YouTube and on Facebook. But what you can't find is someone who says, "Okay, look, just do this and then do this, and then do this. And here's why all of this is important, like to put the pieces together. And here's what you can expect to happen. Here's what's normal. Because I think we start thinking about and certainly I did, when I was trying things and not getting great results, that everybody else was getting way better results than me and my results weren't normal, when in fact, it's the opposite that those people are unicorns (laughs) or those results are unicorns and so then just to fast forward I sold WeSqueak in 2018 the very last day and uh, I started this new little business which I thought well I want to share how I grow this business I want to be as authentic as I can with it I'd like to build this business the same way most of our members build which is. It's maybe not their full-time thing. They, they may have a job or they have kids at home, but whatever their situation is, very few of them would have 40 hours a week to build their business. And the other thing that I wanted to be very conscious of is that most of the people that I know and that we work with, most of them are self-funded. They don't have, you know, an unlimited amount of money to use to build this business. They have to be careful with their money and make good choices. So
0: yeah.
1: that's how Sock Doggo was born. And that's how we got here.
0: I love it. So Sock Doggo, where are you at towards your 50K?
1: So uh, sadly, <laughs> we are not there yet. We I, I just looked yesterday. I think we're at $34,000. So we and so- this
0: is kind of like monthly revenue or Total oh, no no
1: aggregate. I no no this is total revenue this is a slow build not using a lot of money and so we still have seventeen thousand or sixteen thousand dollars to go to get to that fifty thousand dollar goal
0: got it okay so sock doggo I mean I I totally hear you and I think a lot of the merchants that we you know as, as pre-hook surf serve, serve fit that kind of profile yes. they might not do this as a full-time job. They might not be venture-backed. So I have to be very strategic and thoughtful with how they prioritize their time, what strategies they focus on. Sockdell is probably a, a very good prototype for that. Yeah. You, you, oh, I was
1: going to say it's super interesting because my business, my business that I sold, we Squeak, was high volume store. And and even though it was wonderful to have that to demonstrate to our audiences or to to share with people how we got there for a lot of people who are newer to e-commerce, that's not relatable. It's like it's just not like that seems like miles away for them. So even though it's humbling (laughs) and at some days I'm like, why did I decide to do this? But even though that's where we're at, I feel like it's such a good demonstration of how it really happens for most people and the how long it takes you to get traction, what it costs you to get there. And you know, the the ways that you can accelerate your your growth uh, without spending a, a ton of money and the things not to do too. I've done a few of those. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so have I. I might still be doing them. So just A little bit of clarity on Sock Doggo, as I see it, it's printed socks, about $14 average order value for kind of like these, they serve like, I guess, a doodle or a retriever or a pug, really cute, cartoonish animated prints on a sock. And you have a large inventory. My question is, is this a print on demand or did you like invest money upfront, buy a lot of inventory, and then now you're working through selling it?
1: So here's the thing with our socks. So they're not printed, they're actually jacquard. So that means they're knit, those patterns Mm. are knit in. And traditionally with socks like this, they are printed. And so those socks are generally not the same quality. They're, they're, they're not very comfortable to wear. And so ours are jacquard. We have a, a little, they call it an atelier in Turkey where they, our socks are made, it's a social enterprise and we don't do any on demand we actually buy the inventory the reason it's relatively easy for me to do that is that the cost of the merchandise is is pretty low and there are minimums i've been lucky enough to negotiate minimums that are are low for some someone who's making socks and so it's enabled us to have the inventory we have. That said, it's not enough. It's not enough selection still. And, and so that's something that we're building as we can afford to do it.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting take because I actually think that in some ways, niching down to a specific dog owner, and, and I'm not a, a dog owner. We had a foster last year but you know it's it's a part of the family right so if you do have a corgi or you do have a retriever i would i would imagine that if you target it properly and i'm not sure if you're using paid ads or, or organic social or whatever that there's uh there might be some affinity and emotional connection for the dog owners regardless of how many different retriever type socks you have
1: yeah totally there are and and we have clients that have like you know just a dash in store or a, you know, just a pug store that would do really, really well. The difference is, and here's one of the things where I, I think I might've made a little mistake. I mean, we're, we're beginning to overcome it. The difference is with those stores that are the affinity for the breed is that they take that affinity for the breed and they have a bunch of different products that would have that you know have that same attraction and so they are attracting one customer one kind of customer one profile the difference in what they're doing and what i'm doing and i think it's maybe a little mistake on my part just saying it's gonna it took me longer to figure this out is that what i have built with these you know a pug or a dachshund or a corgi what i have built is four different pillars of of customers, like Corgi people aren't necessarily going to buy a Dachshund sock. Dachshund people aren't necessarily going to buy a golden retriever sock. And so what, what I have done is set up like I have set myself up to go find four different or five different kinds of customers. And then I basically only have one product
0: mm.
1: sell them once I once I find them. And so when we first like the first few months of business, Our returning customer rate, which is something that I think is kind of wildly important for most of us because just of the cost of acquiring a customer, our returning customer rate was less than 5%. Even though we have a few different styles for each breed, it was it was really, really low. Now we're, we're working on it, email marketing is super important to us, and we're really still feeling our ways because we're doing it on a budget and very limited amount of time, but this year we've got our returning customer rate up to 14%. and so. If I were to do it all again, I think I would have a big think about that. So that's maybe something that people who are listening to this might wanna onboard, that actually you wanna attract an audience and then have all kinds of things that they would buy rather than uh, attracting four different audiences and have one thing to buy, because that brings my business closer to a, a one and done, which is a lot harder to, to scale because the cost of traffic and the cost of acquiring a customer.
0: Yeah. Looking at your site, looks like you have an opt-in. It's a 15% discount in order for you, you get an email and a first name, but how are you segmenting on the back end to identify who likes a pug and who likes a dachshund?
1: So what we've decided actually in this, I would say we've done it just in, in 2021 is we decided that we were spending way too much time trying to segment all these mm. people. And, and really, you know, it perhaps wasn't the most it was hard for it to be accurate and it it wasn't really the most efficient. Let's make one email and send it out to pug people and dash and people. And so recently what we have decided is that uh we're doing we make one sock. So for example we have boxes of holiday socks and so there's a Valentine's Day sock and a um, 4th of July sock and a Halloween sock and a Christmas sock in that box. And what we've decided is that all the bodies of the socks look the same. The only thing that's in the box looks the same, except it would say for pugs or dashins and the, and the, the dog in the sock is what's different. And, and by doing that, we've been able to now drive all the traffic to one page. And so this is super technical. I ho- I hope it's okay for your audience. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I love it. But
1: what it really means is that instead of driving driving traffic to four different products, we're able to drive it to one product with variations. Interesting. And yeah, and so that's helped us be way more efficient with our advertising, with our email marketing and and just basically helped me understand in like not be so granular and say in a big picture, I need 3000 web visitors a month to hit this page. And it doesn't really matter as long as they're within this group of breeds that we actually carry. And so that's what we're, where we're going.
0: I love it. Yes. Yeah, simplicity works. Cause the, the, my mind, frankly, was like, Oh, well, you know, and if we can get more in the weeds here, Clavio recently uh, rolled out a multi-step opt-in, which yes. basically is like, uh, what's your email and then what dog breed do you like? Uh, so, so you can kind of like segment on there and on the back end it comes through as a custom property or, you know, like obviously I'm partial to quizzes, having built PreHook, you can get very granular with a type of uh, breed and then maybe layer on, uh, if they're buying for themselves or buying for a gift, or if they want a subscription or a single, or if they like cartoons or, or more of the style yeah. and preference type stuff. So you can get very granular with that. But one thing that I, I think might help if email is an important channel to you is that you can insert these custom properties from Klaviyo in so that all of a sudden you, if you know what dog breed that they like, you can automatically insert the image for a dachshund or the image for a pug. And then, so all of a sudden like that, that personalization and and the click through rate from your email to your product page might increase significantly. So just a thought
1: that that dynamic that dynamic format i love that because when you think about it that doesn't require building four different emails and four different segments and and yeah i love that great idea
0: yeah so that's I,
1: that's I'm hoping that that works with with the quiz too
0: totally yeah yeah it it, it does and i think that's the power of using something like Clavio, yeah. which is basically you know, you build once, you scale infinitely because you're just inserting things specific to whatever the customer filled out, and and that's the beauty of custom properties and and event variables. But yeah, in the weeds, it's it gets a little kind of philosophical. But happy to talk to you offline and like we can show you how how it works.
1: Ah! Totally. I think that that's something that many of our members in the inner circle or in our audience in general would see value. You know, we, we use custom properties all the time in clavio, but I think that that's something that for most people who use it, that's like a little bit intimidating.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: A, it needs a, like need someone to walk you through that. So absolutely. I think our people would love that.
0: Yeah. And, and just kind of like at a high level, you, you would know their custom properties, say dog breed. And then at the very top of the flow, you know, if their breed is Corgi, then they go into this flow or yeah. if, you know, and, and so then you can yeah. make it specific. But I would love to learn more kind of like at a high level about the, some of the frameworks that you have and how it applies to Sock Doggo. So it's like what you call the foundation blueprint and the launch strategy, like what those are and then how you actually implemented them with Sockdago.
1: So, so foundation blueprint, I, I shared what I was doing there. And so it's a series of uh, blog posts and videos that I, I set up as I was building the business and I, I did it just because most people who come to us in the inner circle are in that foundation or early traffic stage. And so there are a lot of things that people can do to to really improve their chances of having long-term success or, or financial viability. And so in the foundation blueprint, I talked about a lot of things that we tend to miss when we're setting up our businesses and what they could consider when they're thinking about it and how to get them into place to make their business viable for the long-term. And one of the things that comes up over and over again is margin, You know, pricing and margin and what I have to do. And, you know, should I just double my price? And that's my my margin. And really, whether it's it's a product that you make, a product that you import, or a product that you resell, what people need to think about is margin contribution dollars. And so you might have a $5 product, and you double it and sell it for $10. And you've only got uh, $5 of margin that is the contribution to your overhead costs and including paying yourself, but if you have a $30 item and you sell it for $60, you have $30 worth of margin contribution dollars. So I always want to encourage people to think about, you know, you have to have a product, a product is not viable. If you can't find a way to charge enough for it, to give you enough Dollars to contribute to your overhead, your ad cost, your Shopify fee, your app fee—you know, getting getting pre-hook, what, whatever it is, you need the dollars. At a 50% margin, that is, an, or a 60 or a 70, that is not a good way to decide to set up your business off the hop. And so there was that. I think there are a lot of things in e-commerce that make the product less profitable to sell, and that's really just based on—is it easy to ship? Does it have way too many SKUs? Are, you, are there too many options? Um, is it a one and done? Which is you know kind of where I had got myself into a, a pickle, unknowingly, not even thinking about it. And so there are things like that, that I have seen of so many stores that we've worked with, that there are particular kinds of products. They have particular qualities that I see scale a lot easier, or I see, those aren't the people that are saying, well, I don't have any money. (laughs) And so that's super important. The other thing I see is, um, I see people building these amazing websites that are beautiful and they've got all the bells and whistles and they look like a million bucks and they're very invested in them both the time emotionally and probably financially. And I don't, I think that's a bad plan. I really do. I think that, pretty much anyone who's starting up needs to have a a pretty basic website and they need to focus their, their energy and their funds on getting people to go to the website, getting eyeballs. And so that's another thing I talk about, that you don't need the best website, get to that first 50,000. And then once you know what people want, what products you need, you know, what, what really resonates with your audience, then, after 50 or a hundred thousand dollars in sales, then invest in that website. That's when you do it. And then the other thing I w- always wanted people to, to think about and, and was important for me is, okay, you've got this website, you've got this product, you're very excited, but what is your plan to get even your first hundred sales? Because that's more important than all of those other things. Sadly, (laughs) Mm. you know, you don't have a plan, and you just open it up and say, "Ta-da! I'm here." You're just setting yourself up to be disappointed.
0: Yeah. Wow. So that's let me see. Yeah, that that's I think a fully comprehensive and detailed foundation. So if I can reiterate, just to make sure that I've ingested it properly, basically consider the margin per product where you were going, I I thought was like actually more dollar value. So have a, a product that's a high average order value, but you're saying it actually might be more a percentage basis. Like even if it's a $60 product and you're making $30, that's not enough. You, you want maybe like 75% contribution margin, 60% contribution margin.
1: No, it's really a dollar thing. I would oh, say it is do- okay. I really would. The example that I think I used in my blog post was a mug. And 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 if you have a product like I you know I I firmly believe that you don't want an average order value of lower than thirty dollars. But but really if you have a product that is is a low value product, like it's a ten dollar product, like I have socks that are fourteen ninety nine on my site. And so if you have a product that's a low dollar product doesn't matter what your margin is there's not enough dollars in that in the profit of that product to support your overhead so so i don't actually want to sell one pair of socks for 14.99 it's a little bit heartbreaking because really at the end of the day i use 3pl so but but it doesn't matter whether you use 3pl or not it's still your time and time is money it costs basically in labor pretty much just as much to get uh, that $14.99 order out the door as it does to get a $100 order out the door it costs just as much to acquire that customer as it does it costs just as much to do all the things talk to them if they have a problem or they're asking where their order is and so when you have a, a low average order value and you set yourself up that way to sell a lot of mugs for you know 9.99 each you're never going to be able to get to the place where you have enough overhead dollars in your margin to like take a paycheck.
0: Mm, Yeah.
1: (laughs) And so so even though it feels like you've got a good margin percentage wise, you know, it's not enough dollars, that person who's selling that mug would be far better off to sell those things in bundles of four. So it's a $40 box of mugs. Because that way, their margin contribution dollars are so much, and that's what goes out the door. It's really kind of tricky, but I see it happen all the time.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that's very smart in terms of product selection. We were talking a little bit before we started recording, because you're doing a, a public launch and I had the same experience at Jungle Scout where Greg, who's a founder and CEO of Jungle Scout, did a very similar thing. He had called, It was called a Million Dollar Case Study. And he, he had a lot of criteria in terms of the product research that would be ideal. And it's very similar to what you said, but it's basically, could it fit in a shoebox? So that yeah. that's kind of like small. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Was it kind of like expensive enough? Was there enough demand and not a lot of competition? Yeah. And then the other thing too was, uh, was it mechanical or was there a high likelihood of breaking if it were shipped or if the box were dropped? So yeah. the product that we sold there was bamboo marshmallow sticks. Granted those were large, but that that's something that You know, you're not going to have to rely on a certain manufacturer. Another product was a sleeping bag. And then I think a desk extender or something, but very similar criteria to what you're describing.
1: Yeah, it's super important. And I think that what happens is people go into these businesses, like setting up their e-commerce business and they, they, they don't think about that part, you know, like that's, they think about all the stuff that truly interests them and like anyone, there's not a handbook really for this. And like like everyone, we don't know what we don't know. And so I felt like it was my job to like point out, well, hey, you don't know this today, but here's what could happen if this if you chose a product like this. you know, you don't necessarily want a product like this, and here's here are the reasons why.
0: Yeah. And then yeah, get get a hundred customers. You don't need a fancy website. you don't need the bells and whistles., uh, you just need to prove demand, and I think that's so true. How do you, is there like a a blueprint or a tactic or a channel, like a a channel for traffic that you find most reliable for those first customers?
1: So what I did, and, and not everyone will want to go this way, but I felt like, I feel like everybody needs proof of concept. I actually believe that really, if you were to strip it right down, that after you have proof of concept with e-commerce, the rest is a numbers game. Mm -hmm. It really is. It's a mathematical equation, you know, with some tweaks for sure. But uh, so I feel like you need proof of concept. And proof of concept requires a group of people like an audience of people who aren't your family and your close friends who buy the product because they simply because they were exposed to it, and they, they want it. And so I, I feel that you owe it to yourself before you get too invested to get proof of concept. And so the way we did that is we partnered with a, some, we only did one sock to start. We did a box of, we did one sock that said, bring me my dashend on the bottom of it. And we did a box of socks only for people who love dashend. And then we partnered with a e-commerce site it was called American Doxy. And we made it very attractive for them to expose their audience to that sock. And so we did a giveaway first. And we I, I built some of my own audience, but they also got people to opt in to that giveaway list. And then we made them an offer, which was if you buy the box, you get the I shouldn't say we American Doxy made their entire audience an offer. And uh, the offer was, if you buy the box of socks, well, you'll get this extra one free. So you got four socks for the price of free of three. And the deal I made with him was that he would I gave him the first 100 orders for free. So that's what it cost me. Now, my box of socks cost me around $8. And the extra sock was another dollar something. So might be, might've been $2. So it, it was costing me about 10 an order. So I had a hundred times 10, $1,000. It cost me to, to expose it to his audience of the perfect people. <laughs> and, and then I gave him wholesale pricing on the, anything else his, his audience would order. And I still am profitable at wholesale. And so the result was for me was that I knew at the end of it, I think we sold $7,700. Wow, it was good. Yeah. And so the result for me was, I only got the wholesale sales from that. But the result for me was that I knew that if I could find the right audience for these, the socks, that the price was okay. The price that I I set up at 36.99 was okay, it would convert and, and that it, we could ship it out and we wouldn't get a bunch of returns or or anything like that. And so he shared the email list that he collected with me after the giveaway. And I feel like it cost me a thousand bucks to to get those wholesale sales and to get my proof of concept. And so who does that? Not Not a lot of people do that. I knew I didn't have my own audience. I knew I couldn't build my own audience and warm them up in that amount of time. And so I would just encourage anyone who's who's starting from, from new or not even who just feels like they really need a, a little boost and they need an audience that it's okay to give up a little something to get access to that audience, because particularly if you have a product that people will buy again and again, and again, it's a pretty small give for the, the upside, which is like a great lifetime value of customer. And where else can you be exposed to the perfect customer?
0: Yeah, that's that's a beautiful execution of a partnership strategy, I think, in that you realize maybe some of your own limitations that, that you didn't have the audience. So you found a person that did. It was a very niche an American American dachshund list. I, I didn't even know, you know, what that a site would exist like that. And then you made it, it you you positioned it in a way that was financially lucrative and interesting to the owner. So that okay, like not only will I get a thousand socks to give away, but then I'll get an upside on anything over that and so it turned yeah. out to be like eight thousand dollars you know a bounty I suppose for sharing the list and you actually got the the list which is an evergreen asset so to speak so you know you again going back to and segmentation you you tag them as docs and folks so once you do expand your line beyond well I suppose you're sock doggo so you're doing socks but you know you get another docs and sock and then boom there you go so that that's beautiful
1: yeah it was really good and so when I say you know get a plan, <laughs> get a plan. And really, at the end of the day, the desire someone has to buy a product will, as long as your website functions, is way more important than all the subtleties that you're packing into these websites that you're building. And in fact, everyone who needs to to think about how hard it is to buy a product from them needs to grab their phone go to an incognito window and check out their website on mobile because I see very few sites that have uh, mobile traffic of less than 80%. Wow,
0: I, I didn't realize it was that much. Mm. Yeah, Susan, thank you so much for sharing such tactical strategies. Where can people learn more about the blueprints, of plans of foundations that you describe?
1: Sure, so they could go to our website, socialsalesgirls.com, and right at the top in the menu bar, there is the roadmap to 50k, which is really just a series of blog posts and videos. And they can choose like there are three buttons to push: the foundation blueprint, the the launch strategy, and the, mar- the 50k marketing plan. And they can find all the assets there that are really uh, focused in on the area that they're
0: working on. Susan Brad- Bradley, thank you so much for sharing this.
1: Thank you so much for having me and I am super interested in talking to you more about all the things that, that, is, that are possible for me and all our other uh, merchants in the inner circle with quizzes.
0: And that's the episode for today. Thanks so much for listening all the way to the end. We love you for it. If you found anything valuable at all or want to share your feedback, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also just drop us a line, hello, at cartoverflow.com. We'd love to hear your feedback or suggestions so we can cover it in a future episode. All right, see you next time.